Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Trevor Shoup is a singer-songwriter based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He has performed solo or with his eponymous band or with a side band called Shades, with both bands featuring his brother Tanner Shoup on bass guitar. Born in Red Wing, Minnesota, which is on the Wisconsin border, Trapper assembled his first band at Ellsworth High School in Wisconsin. The Shipp brothers migrated east to Milwaukee, where Trapper attended the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and released Lived and Moved in 2009. He followed that up with Run Engine Run with The Shades in 2012, Rangers and Valentines in 2016, and Bay Beach Amusement Park in 2017. In 2018, Trapper decided to try his hand at completing an unfinished Bob Dylan song from 1961 called On Wisconsin. Trapper recorded the song, and it is on his album, Primetime Illusion. Trapper is a nonstop creative tour de force. His passion for his craft has garnered him many accolades and a strong and growing following of fans. Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm your host, Doug Burke, and today I am super excited to have with me on the show, Trapper Shep. Trapper, welcome to Backstory Song. Thank you for welcoming me, Doug. It's uh, It's been quite a weekend. I just got back from uh, Sparta, Wisconsin, uh, not too far from the Mississippi River Valley in there by Viroqua, Madison, La Crosse, and we were exploding apples as a part of my new music video, uh, Little Drop of Medicine. So I'm running on like three hours of sleep. I'm running on fumes, but I'm very happy to be here. So thanks again for having me. 
Well, you look great and we're thankful that you're that dedicated to your craft and your art and we really appreciate it. Can you tell me how do you explode an apple? So I do not have the technical understanding of how it all went. What I do know is there were batteries underneath a table and then there were wires coming from said battery that went into apples and then they like short circuited the battery or or something of that nature. I mean, I could pull up the video for you on my phone, but we'll see it when we see the video release, but I've never heard of going out to the remote corners of Wisconsin. I guess it's not the corner. It's kind of the central part, Sparta and exploding apples. So I think there's something on my bucket list to do because that, that is my new thing. I have to try exploding apples in Wisconsin. And a lot of your music is about where you come from in Wisconsin. Tell me about when you started writing songs and why did you start writing songs? Why? That's a big existential question. We all must face, Doug. Only songwriters have to face the why. Most people don't do your craft to the extent you do it. And so it's like this real existential question, yes, for our listeners. Well, I was actually just listening to a great podcast with Yo-Yo Ma, and he said, you know, something of the nature of why you make music, because it gives life meaning, you know, it gives life purpose and color and textures and for me, I grew up in uh, the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, a little postage stamp-sized town called Ellsworth, which is the cheese curd capital of the world. So I think, you know, instead of exploding apples, go get some Ellsworth cheese curds. Those are really a, a world wonder, to be sure. Yeah, I grew up in Ellsworth BMX bike riding, and I fell one too many times, to say the least, herniated a disc in my back. And my mom signed me up for guitar lessons and said, you know, here's a safer hobby for you. So I started guitar lessons like most things. I mean, it didn't, it didn't just click overnight. You know, of course it took a lot of energy and time to make it work, but you can, I mean, make it work. That's questionable. You can put in those hours, but if you don't really have the inspiration or the excitement for it, it's not going to go anywhere. So after that, I was in my parents' basement watching a movie and I heard that song Hurricane by Bob Dylan. And there was just this conviction in his voice and this gravelly quality of his singing uh, as he tells a story of this man wrongly convicted of murder. I just thought, wow, that is unlike anything I've ever heard. So I think, yeah, getting injured discovering the music of Bob Dylan at a very young age, I think sort of led me down the path of songwriting. So you've got four studio albums out, well, three out, and you're about to release the new one called May Day. And we're going to talk about some songs off of that album. I believe two of the singles are out. River of Disaster, Yellow Moon is out already on this album, but we're not going to talk about those songs. We're going to talk about some stuff that I've had the pleasure of a sneak peek listen to. And the first one is May Day, the title cut, which is the first cut on the album. Last train. 
Well, May Day to start is an old pagan holiday that's tied to the natural world and also in hopes of a good harvest. So you might be familiar with the holiday, but typically it's celebrated by dancing around a maypole, singing songs, doing all these sort of ritualistic dances to ring in spring. You know, it's a halfway point between the summer solstice and the uh, spring equinox. So it's about the celebration of springtime and the hopes of a good harvest. The song May Day, though, it's tied more towards my birthday, which is also on May Day. I was in a bit of a transitional point in my life. I was between houses between tours. My last album, Primetime Illusion, had just come out and I was about to leave on a European tour and I found myself in a bit of a questionable housing situation. I had to move my whole life right before leaving for Europe and I thought, oh my goodness, my baby grand piano, where do I put this? And the morning that the movers came, I woke up and, you know, with this sense of urgency and I walked down to my piano, and I just played an E chord. The first three notes, that that was the first thing I hit. I think I just thought back to what was coming up, where I'd been, and I just kind of in my head started writing, singing. I was born on the first day, fifth month called May. I'm here today to say I need you in the worst way. And I thought, okay, that feels good. And then the uh, the piano movers showed up. So I had to put the song on pause. It details sort of a transitional point in my life and a transcontinental sort of tale between uh, coming and going and that sort of uh, touring musician's lifestyle, you know. You know, I really like the three-chord piano intro and also the way it plays against the backbeat of the bass line. And the bass line gets even more clever throughout the song, I found. And really, you don't normally focus on a bass line in a song listen. And in this one, it's really, really subtly complimentary in a way that catches your attention. Yeah, that's my brother, Tanner Shep. He's sort of been my musical comrade since birth, of course. We've been getting into trouble for about 10 years together. Yeah, that's him with the bass line. And we wanted the drums to definitely have 
you know, a deep pocket, a deep groove, sort of similar to, you know, all those great 80s Bruce Springsteen songs. So bravo to my brother Tanner and then Jake Bickness on the drums. They found a nice pocket for that song for sure. So the chorus is you're a bad drug. It's time to kick it. Honey, I've been evicted. Is there someone this was motivated by? Was there a muse of some sort behind this feeling of moving on and trying to kick a habit, if you will, of a drug? Yeah. I mean, we're all always trying to kick certain habits, aren't we, Doug? Yeah. I think that's part of life, right? We're always trying to like get rid of the bad and just have the good left. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a whole spirit of May Day, the holiday. It's like a time for rebirth. It's a time to sort of start over. I had that in mind for sure. Have you always felt that because your birthday's on May Day, that like every year my birthday is, it's like not only a celebration of my birthday, but a celebration of this year's going to be my rebirth? Yeah. Well, I mean, not so much. No, (laughs) it's just another birthday, huh? I mean, in terms of everything that's happened in the last year and beyond, I think most of us are sort of reevaluating and sort of looking at things in a completely different way. You know, sorry to be vague, but with all of the pain of the last couple of years, it's a time to sort of start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I don't want to speak prematurely. We have a long way to go with the pandemic, to be sure. But I think in this year in particular, I th- I feel that myself and, and many other people who have endured this uh, pandemic are really hoping for some relief. Yeah, I hope this is a rebirth. I hope the May Day album is a huge success for you. It deserves a listen. And I hope the audience grabs it. I really felt like the jangly guitar work on this song is particularly compelling, especially the way you kind of take it out also with that same echo of the three chords on the piano and this long, is it a synthesizer note? Yeah. So there's a three note riff on the piano And then the guitar is done by one of my guitarists, Quinn Sharber. We were done recording in the studio and about to send the thing off to be mixed. And I thought, you know, we really need to rethink the guitar part on this song. I sent the tracks off to Quinn and he tracked it within one day at his home in Bayview, here right outside of Milwaukee. And so that was a last minute addition that I'm so grateful for. But yeah, I think we were going for sort of a a jangly, a little bit of Mark Knopfler and sort of some of the Smiths in there. And then, yeah, there's the, the one note synthesizer. And yeah, I think we spent like a whole evening just trying to get the synthesizer tone You know, so there are certain things that, you know, recording the album in the pandemic and having a bit more time on our hands allowed us to really focus on the tones, you know. And what's the tone of Mayday? The tone of Mayday. Oh, man, that's a good question. I mean, I think darkness and light, there's a whole sort of a sugary 
and then there's salty. You know, it's it's that sort of juxtaposition between the two. I mean, that's every album, though, you know? I mean, I think on this album, there's like four songs in minor keys. I don't know that I've done that before. I was saving that for 2021, I guess, you know, after all we've went through. But yeah, there's like four songs in minor keys. And then songs like Mayday are more sort of bright and jangly. So I think it does kind of seesaw back and forth between the major and minor keys in a way that feels, you know, representative of the lyrics and also sort of the cultural moment we're having. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Let's talk about another one of perhaps slightly darker songs on the album, Hotel Aster, which is a famous hotel, perhaps in several places. Why did you call the song Hotel Aster? Yes. So I mentioned uh, May Day and kind of what I was going through at that time, jumping between different houses. I was living at the Hotel Aster in downtown Milwaukee. And it's this uh, historic haunted hotel that, you know, has the air of an old Stephen King novel, you know, like The Shining, the long, dark hallways. There's a certain kind of just scent that lingers in the air. The lights are flickering. 
it's one of those places you can't really shake. Once you leave, you know, every time you walk by the place, you kind of just get a certain uh, sense of, uh, you know, a little feeling goes down your spine. Is that a good feeling or is it? Yeah. If you like horror movies. Yeah. I wouldn't describe (laughs) it necessarily as good. But some people who love horror movies, that's the feeling they go for in the movie. You know, you want to have that feeling. And the, the one you mentioned tone earlier, the one tone note I wrote is this song is haunted. So you got the haunted tone in this song. <laughs> I was living at the Astor for a few months and one of my friends texts me and says, hey, do you want to go on a ghost tour of downtown Milwaukee? And I'm like, you know, oh, I feel like I've been living a ghost tour of downtown Milwaukee. Why not? We're doing this walking tour of downtown Milwaukee and it's slowly creeping and circling back towards the Hotel Astor where I was staying. I'm thinking, oh no, please don't let this, you know, end at the Hotel Astor. And the tour guide goes, and now we come up on one of the most haunted and historic places in the city of Milwaukee, the Hotel Astor. And I thought, oh, okay, I knew it. Did they go to your room or are you like, like, now they're going to go to my room. This is the next, the next thing that's coming, right? (laughs) She told this really uh, poignant story about there was a fire at the Hotel Astor in 1935 and it took the lives of a nurse and her deaf patient that lived in a room across from her. When they found her, it was, I mean, this is really tragic and haunting, but she was outside of his room and there were were like marks on the door from where she had like repeatedly hit and like scratched the door to try to wake the deaf patient of uh, hers. And so I thought it was so really tragic, but haunting and sort of there was a cinematic quality to it and just the imagery I couldn't get out of my head. Oh, I couldn't either. Like, you know, someone trying to save a life like that in that situation, feeling so helpless in that set of circumstances. Yeah. So I ended up writing sort of a, a reimagined love story. I used, you know, a lot of creative liberties with it. I definitely was a bit haunted by that story. After hearing it, I sort of uh, made peace with the ghosts of the Hotel Astor by writing that song. This story puts the chorus in such a different context for me. It doesn't always happen. This happened a little bit with Granville Automatic on our show, where all their songs are based on historical events. And this one where you say, now I wish I would have told you that I loved you from the very start. You know, this is such a a feeling of regret of not having told people that you love them, that, you know, maybe COVID has helped us understand that that's important, that we do this every day to people that we love. So we don't have that feeling of regret when something like this surprisingly happens to you. Yeah, I think... This whole album, too, is made with a a sense of urgency that uh, other albums of mine weren't made with. I mean, when the pandemic hit, certainly every moment felt very raw. 
you learn to uh, refocus your energy on what feels most important for that moment. And for me, since I was 15 or so, I found a lot of peace and hope in writing and creating and recording songs with with my band. So yeah, we all got together in a safe way at a nice studio in town to do this thing. And if you weren't singing, you were wearing your mask. It was a really safe, productive time for our band, for sure. One of the things I found interesting about this song from a songwriter's standpoint is the way you end on a single guitar note that comes out of the chorus. It's a very non-traditional way to end a song. And I don't know if that was a conscious idea or like, I often have found that how to begin and how to end a song and when you decide or know that a song is done are important components to songwriting. And so why did you choose that ending here? Yeah, I mean, it sort of feels like a tag or sort of just a callback to the the chorus in a way after that bridge outro. But I think most of my songs fit into a bit of a verse-chorus, verse-chorus, bridge, chorus-end formula. And I think this song took some different experimental twists and turns and then ended with half of that chorus bit. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly the the why. For me, it, it really felt haunted. It felt like this sort of, you know, life ended in the middle, you know, unexpectedly, and and yet it lingers on in this sort of haunted way, and and it it, it contributed to the whole haunted tone that I felt in the song, and you captured brilliantly. I got to thank you for this gift. To us. Yeah. I like your interpretation, Doug. And I think to the, uh, <laughs> I do the best I can. The more experimental section with the guitar solo and the drums sort of getting a bit out of the pocket. I wanted to represent the fire and the flames and the, uh, the chaos of that moment. So yeah. And we did, we did some really unique production a couple of unique things with that song now. You're refreshing my memory. There was a piano in the main room where we were recording the drums and the live room. And we taped down all of the D piano keys because the song is in the key of D. So we took electrical tape, we taped down all of the piano keys, and then we put a brick on the sustain pedal so that when noise and vibrations would hit the piano, all of the D keys in the piano would sort of make this hum, this haunting sort of hum. Perfectly tuned to D. Yeah, perfectly tuned to D. So we mic'd the piano up as well as the drums. So it was sort of like there was a ghost playing the piano. Yeah, you. I mean, it's very, very subtle. But it's definitely in the mix, but it's a sort of a natural synth lingering way deep in there. I mean, if you're listening on headphones in the right sort of environment, you might be able to hear it. But that was a a fun experimental thing that, again, you know, we might not have done if we were in normal times. I think that means that the ghost of the Hotel Astor of Milwaukee is in the key of D. 
It has to be. It has to be in the key of D. Like more likely D minor. More likely D minor, yes. Hotel Astory visited. There's fact fiction and fantasy. You and me, I wanted to believe this. Maps, memories upon a wall, but I see it's him that's trying to call you. You're giving me Paris syndrome. This is not what I expected. You're giving me Paris syndrome. Disconnected, I am lost. Disconnected, I am lost. There's fact fiction and fantasy, the stuff of movies and make believe. Right when I needed you the most, you came like an angel and left like a ghost. You're giving me. Paris syndrome. This is not what I expected. You're giving me Paris syndrome. Disconnected, I am lost. Disconnected, I am lost. So a different tonal song from the album is Paris Syndrome, which opens with some finger picking on acoustic guitar. But I actually had to look up what Paris Syndrome was because I didn't know that this is a thing. And this is a thing that Asian cultures who visit Paris actually get primarily because of the severe form of culture shock when they find out the city is not as beautiful or idyllic as they had expected to be. Now, let me read you the symptoms on this. The syndrome is characterized by a number of psychiatric symptoms such as acute delusional states, hallucinations, feelings of persecution, derealization, depersonalization, anxiety, and psychosomatic manifestations. And I was like, oh my God, I thought it was just a song about wanting to be in Paris or what Paris does to you. But it, 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 it like Paris syndrome is serious. Did you know this when you wrote the song? Yeah. I mean, of course. Yeah. I was, uh, I was in the van on the way to Paris on tour. I had never been to Paris before. I was looking forward to it. I loved Paris. It was really a magical tour stop. For sure. But in the van ride there, we had talked about this Paris syndrome, this rare but real psychiatric condition that happens to people when their expectations of the city of lights are not met. And I guess at one point, there was a Paris syndrome hotline, like a 24-7 hotline. But I just thought it was so sort of, you know, people go into experiences 
visiting a city such as Paris and they think of it as being the lighting is just right, the cobblestone roads, there's the painter, you know, there's someone sipping wine on the street corner and lovers dancing and... And the food is great. Yeah, I mean, I think that sort of feeling of being let down can be so universal. And I thought in terms of this song... There's fact, fiction, fantasy, uh, you and me, I wanted to believe. That's one of the lyrics in the song. But I thought it was a great metaphor for, you know, relationships, getting into certain things and then realizing they're entirely other. And there's nods to Romeo and Juliet later in the song. And then there's, I mean, it. what are some of the lyrics? He drank that poison way too soon. She slept through the pale afternoon. I think that can be a feeling we're all having right now with, you know, I don't want to say it's related in in any specific way to the pandemic because it's not, but I think we're all feeling disconnected from each other. We're all feeling lost. We're all feeling pretty delusional right now and feeling as if we're living in a bit of an alternative reality. So, yeah, that song came out of that feeling for sure. And knowing what I know now about the motivation for this song, it changes it for me. I have to listen to it again (laughs) one more time. Is this about any particular person or persons in your life or is it an amalgamation? Yeah, I think it should be, you know, more universal. So, Mm mm-hmm. But I think in every relationship, there's this notion that you have an idyllic view of the other person. And, you know, we tend to let each other down in small and large ways in life repeatedly, just because that's the nature of life, you know, whether it's forgetting to pick up something at the grocery store or something more serious. But in this song, you take it to another level with this Paris syndrome of like, it can make you crazy, like actually you know, psychosomatically crazy almost in your mental health state. <laughs> Pretty powerful. Thank you. Glad you like it. Anything else you want to say about Paris Syndrome? I guess it's the end of side A on the album. And it's one that I think is one of the more sparse tracks that I have. It's just me and my brother. We sing the whole song Together, there's some pedal steel in there. And then the producer of the album or co-producer, Ian Olvera, plays some really, really gorgeous piano. I really was grateful for all of his contributions to the album and in particular his piano playing, which is so sparse and minimalistic. But when it hits, you know, it really, it hits. (laughs) I really am grateful for him and his contributions. Yeah, Wisconsin is the dairy steak, as you all know it well. I was in Wauwatosa, the truth I will tell. It's a milk and cheese and cream. Yes, I've known it all my days. And I'm going back to my hometown. I'm leaving right away. I'm a hand- 
Wisconsin, 2,000 miles to go. Madison, Milwaukee, sets my heart ain't low. I'm a coming to that state and my heart's beating fast. And I'll jerk my banjo gently, twiddle my mustache on Wisconsin. Let's talk about a song that's given you a fair amount of notoriety, but actually in researching you made me really feel like even though you've traveled the world playing and are going to continue, hopefully, to start traveling the world on tour again for us very soon, you come from Wisconsin and there's a real sense of place to your songs. And this song is called On Wisconsin. And I'll give our listeners a little background so that you don't have to say it, Trapper. But this song was written in 1961 lyrically by Bob Dylan. It was discovered later, and it happened to be written when he was visiting Wisconsin. And the next day, he answered an ad to share a ride back to New York City with two people And he left Wisconsin and never recorded this song that he wrote and sort of in his night or brief, brief time in Wisconsin. And from that car ride, he landed in Greenwich Village and sort of the rest is history on Bob Dylan, which our listeners know. But you have co-written a song now with Bob Dylan, and he has given you a co-write credit, which is just an amazing thing for me to be in the presence of. But tell me more about On Wisconsin. Yeah, so Dylan's last stop was Wisconsin. And something that I had learned later was uh, he actually wrote that song the day he went into the studio to record his first studio album with Columbia Records. So I think that song was in some ways intended to be on his first studio album, Bob Dylan. Yeah, it's just titled Bob Dylan. It's the eponymous Bob Dylan. I I have a first pressing. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I think the song was meant to be a bit of a travelogue, sort of a a way of showing where he had just come from. I don't know, I'm not going to get in the head of a 20-year-old Bob Dylan, I guess. Yeah, so the song is about this uh, drifter kind of trying to get back home to Wisconsin in some way. And me being a citizen of the world running all over with my guitar, I think I felt, okay, I've been there before for sure. And Dylan's one of my favorite songwriters. So how I discovered the song, though, I was scrolling through Rolling Stone or Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and I saw this link 
And the headline was long lost lyrics about Wisconsin up for sale, $30,000. And I thought, wow, you know, I don't have $30,000, but maybe I could finish the song. And I finished the song. I booked a weekend at the studio and it was just like that. I added a chorus to it and gave it sort of a train beat because I was imagining this drifter sort of being rocked to sleep in a train car. And I kind of put this uh, a bit of a waltz to it, like a train going down the tracks. So yeah, we put the song out there. There was a little bit on it in Billboard and Minnesota Public Radio, and then a bit of a radio silence for a while. And then my manager sent me an email one night that said, Dylan has it now. And that's all the email said. And I thought, I mean, what? Come on, man. What what is that? I mean, what does that mean? And then I caught up with him later and he said, I got the song to the people that need the song, basically, and it's in their hands now. Then, you know, months and months and months went by, and I was in the grocery store, and I got an email that said, Bob Dylan has approved the joint publishing of On Wisconsin with Trapper Shep or whatever. And I just walked around the grocery store, grabbed everything I'd ever wanted in a grocery store, spent like $300. Because you were hungry or you thought the royalties were going to lead to retirement or you were celebrating? Yeah, exactly. Celebratory. But yeah, I mean, I talk about how Bob Dylan was an important part of my origin story as a songwriter. And then, you know, to share the writing credit with Bob Dylan in a song about my home state, it's stranger than fiction, you know? So I knew that On Wisconsin was the Wisconsin University of Wisconsin Badgers fight song. And I only knew this because I read this Wall Street Journal reporter, Jason Gay, who went there and he works evidently with all these Michigan people. And they're, from a sports standpoint, a little louder than the Wisconsin Badger people, according to Jason. And he always talks about On Wisconsin, their fight song. So I, I listened to that. And then I listened to your version, and I was so grateful that they're very, very different. But you're setting the music to a lyric sheet that Bob wrote about the state you come from, about a place called Wauwatosa, where I understand you found the recording studio that could accommodate the sound you wanted. I had to look it up. It's a a western Milwaukee suburb of 43,000 people, so it's not a tiny place in Wisconsin. It's like a real suburb of sorts. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's an old post office, this recording studio called Wire and Vice. And the really funny thing was Bob Dylan in the lyrics, he wrote Wawa Toaster. The town is called Wawatosa. And so there were just so many jokes about the toaster and, and all that. And actually the other day, so I was talking to some guy about, I was doing a TV spot. We were talking about music and I said something about Bob Dylan. And he said, oh, you know, I heard Bob Dylan has a song about Wawa Toaster. And I thought, oh man, yeah, I, I'm familiar with that song actually. Yeah, I co-wrote it. Yeah, I didn't like <laughs> go too into it, but. So here's something for you, Trapper. 
Wauwatosa is named after the Potawatomi chief Wauwatosi, and it is the Potawatomi word for what? I don't know. Firefly. Oh, wow. Very interesting. Are there a lot of fireflies in Wisconsin? Uh, yeah, I, I suppose. I guess I don't know about a lot or a little. I mean... Do you remember them at night? Like, is in the suburbs of Milwaukee, are they large fireflies? <laughs> yeah, I grew up in the country. So, yeah, I would say a fair amount of fireflies, but... And it happens to rhyme well in the song. Yeah, maybe that'll be, like, on Wisconsin part two. Firefly, or I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> oh, if I can motivate you to write us more great songs, I would love it. You know. So what's it like setting, you know, these lyrics, adding a chorus and coming up with the melody? How does the, where does the melody come from? Oh, where does a melody come from? Sometimes you, you just feel as a songwriter that you're just sort of brushing the dust off something else or you're a vessel for it. But I do think it like songwriting, it's like anything else you you spend a lot of time listening to music. That's sort of the input. And then the output is your song. And with folk music, I mean, you lift a little from here, you lift a little from there. That's what you come up with. But the music's already there. You know, you're just sort of the vehicle for it. You know? Interesting. It's so organic for you and a lot of people. It's, you know, not everybody has this skill, this organic natural talent that you do trapper so it's like not to be taken for granted and we can't wait to see what comes out in the headlights a semi-jack knife that felt all right when they shut down i ate Took a winter loop in a snowed-in mood I saw a movie, an unexpected journey I felt like Martin Freeman When he was first leaving Now I'm waiting for the road to thaw I'm waiting for the road to thaw about Ogallala and I have to say this is one of your more upbeat songs from an earlier album and I love it it's based on uh, the Lord of the Rings in part yeah I thought it'd be fun to focus on some of the sense of place songs for this so we were coming home from a long tour coming home for the holidays and we thought we could get from Los Angeles to Milwaukee in one straight shot, which is, you know, not smart on a lot of levels. 
we were driving through the Great Plains of Nebraska in a blizzard, and a semi-truck in front of us jackknifed off the road in this terrible snowstorm. And my manager, my brother, Graham, our guitarist at the time, we I think we all kind of looked at each other and thought, oh no, that could have been us. We took the first exit we could. It was this little town called Ogallala. True to its name, La La, we sort of began to go La La after a few days of being stranded in this town. They shut down the interstates, actually. The blizzard was so bad. Wow. I mean, because that's Interstate 80. That goes from New York to California. They try to keep that open for the commercial truckers, who obviously one of which caused the blockage of the road to begin with. And so probably was good reason that they closed it down. They don't close it down lightly. <laughs> I will say that. We got a room at the Super 8, four guys, one room. Our guitarist and my brother Tanner, and they uh, went to go see that movie, An Unexpected Journey with Martin Freeman, where he sort of leaves home and he's off on this grand journey. He's Bilbo Baggins, right, in the movie? He he plays Bilbo Baggins legendarily. So I think the great part about seeing movies and reading books, listening to music is part of you puts yourself inside of those characters. I mean, that's what makes any movie relatable is you you find yourself in the characters. And yeah, I think the lyric is, I felt like Martin Freeman when he was first leaving. That's a nod to that character in that movie for sure. But yeah, I think those were three of the longest days of my life in that Super 8 hotel at the end of a very long tour. Actually, the night before, I got sprayed with a fire extinguisher. We opened for a social distortion at Disneyland. <laughs> That's a little bit of an oxymoron, right? Social D at Disneyland? <laughs> Mike Ness and the crew? <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, he, he was really sweet. He watched our set or part of it from the side of the stage. Yeah, some guy grabbed a fire extinguisher and just lit me up. Well, the punk crowd is a little different than some of the other crowds. But you think the punk crowd at Disneyland might, you know, calm down. But no, I guess. Yeah, I mean, punks at Disneyland. It's I mean, it's a juxtaposition if there ever was. Paradox. But um, yeah, that was uh, definitely a, a very strange few days of my life in Ogallala. So you had left from Disneyland, you drove and you got stuck in Nebraska, in Ogallala, Nebraska, which is, I did look up the population, it's a few thousand. You were there three days. This one break I find so haunting. I'm going to read it. I watched the news at nine, saw a car that could have been mine. It was crushed like a can. Travel safe, said the weatherman. I just love that break. It's like a nightmare. And you guys avoided it. Thank goodness. But like we all see that on the news when these accidents happen and think, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. You know, that could have been me behind that truck. Well, that's sort of a callback to the uh, Martin Freeman, the movie, you know, putting yourself in, you know, different people's shoes, if you will. Did you write the song in the Super 8 or did you wait till later when you were on the road and like, I got to write a song about those three days in Ogallala? Yeah, I think uh, like most songwriters, you sort of make 
notes along as you go. Yeah, I remember writing bits and pieces of it down, committing some of it just to memory. And then actually, I finished it. I did a demo of it when we were stuck in another snowstorm in New Jersey. The following year, I was staying in my friend's little apartment in Cherry Hill, I think, New Jersey. Uh-huh. Outside of Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I finished the song in that snowstorm under really strange circumstances as well. I'm just remembering that day in particular was really strange because I was staying at my friend's house and we came in really late at night and I had, you know, my big duffel bag that I was traveling with on tour and I had a big glass sort of jar or glass container of grape juice I was walking up his stairs, and when I got into his apartment, I realized, oh my goodness, the glass broke, and there's a grape juice all over. And the next morning, I woke up, and this is the day I finished the Ogallala song. There were like cops everywhere, and people at the apartment were uh, thinking that there was blood all over the apartment complex. That was this grape juice. But I came in so late at night, I didn't realize it, but like all over the stairs and everything, there was this like really thick, sort of dark blood-like juice. I'm like, oh my goodness. I don't know why that thought came to mind, but... There seems to be a recurring theme. You blow up apples, you write songs about haunted hotels, and you finish this song in the second snowstorm after the cops think that, you know, some grape juice is a bloody murder. There's a thread here. <laughs> it's not a great thread, to be sure. One of my friends calls me like a chaos magnet. And I don't know if it's like me, I'm the chaos or what it is, but... That's the River of Disaster song, isn't it? Yeah, River Called Disaster. That's one of the new ones on the album. Is that autobiographical about the disasters that have occurred in your life or not really? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you take a little bit from here, a little bit from there, for sure. talk about one of your earlier songs because i actually think this is my favorite ballad of olaf johnson i just love the upbeat 
hard driving rock and sound that you got out of your band on this very much to me inspired by bands like the band and you know Bob Dylan who you know we've already discussed his influence on your music almost a Maggie's farm feel in the beginning if I'm catching it right inspired by this so let's talk about the, this is really one of my favorite pieces that you've written so far I can't wait to hear more from you I can't wait to see you live perform with your band but tell me about Ballad of Olaf Johnson Ah, yeah. So the lyrics come from Family Legend, which is my great, great, great grandfather. His name is Olaf Johnson, and he came from Sweden to America around 1900 with his wife, Olivia, and they were traveling through the Dakotas and they uh, encountered this terrible blizzard. And what did uh, Olaf and his wife Olivia do? They literally dug a hole into the South Dakota earth, flipped their wagon over that hole in the earth, and they lived out the whole winter there. You know, so the accommodations were not as good as the Super 8 in Ogallala. But uh, yeah, they made it through and they made it to spring. And I think being a Midwestern, songwriter and tying things back to May Day, my new album, there is this element of the promise of spring that keeps people in the Midwest, I mean, people everywhere, thinking forward and trying to to get to the next uh, season, you know, in the summer even. It's like, it's so hot. I wish we could just have the fall, you know, in the winter. It's like, oh, it's so cold. We, we just need to get to the summer. We'll be fine. There is that element of like always thinking ahead and to warmer weather. But in terms of the music, it is uh, definitely that uh, 1965 Bob Dylan inspired sound. And we did that album down in Nashville and really some top shelf players on it. It's Spencer Cullum Jr. playing the pedal steel guitar. I remember him wearing uh, what he referred to as his Dylan dots that day at like a polka dot shirt that he was wearing to the CMA awards that night that he was playing at young British fella. And then his partner in crime, uh, Jeremy Fetzer on the Telecaster. But yeah, it's a really fun song. And it sort of is another one of those songs where it feels like it's right on the edge of falling apart the whole time. But it kind of holds together somehow. And yeah, I mean, the chorus bit, the the wind went ooh all night, and there's kind of the different harmonies in there. It's a little uh, intentionally hokey and and fun, like a, a old band song or something. So, But it's not completely fun. There's still this haunted element to the fun, you know? It's like the wind of the Midwest, and I guess this is North Dakota, but Wisconsin, Minnesota, you know, the winters in Nebraska and Ogallala are harsh and long. And this chorus is different for you because it's like really compact and short in words, but it says a lot to me melodically because it's the wind went ooh all night. He'd cry ooh in fright, but the second ooh you don't go higher, you go into a lower register of the note. And it makes you feel like 
oh my God, if I could just make it through the night, like if I could just make it through this winter and somehow get to that spring, you know what I'm saying? Cause like normally you'd go up to like punch the course crescendo up, but you drop it down and it's so noticeable. Am I like reading this the right way? Yeah. Yeah, of course. What was your thought behind the design there? Well, it was probably more of a logistical thing. Like, oh, I don't think I can take my voice any higher, you know, cause it's already like a falsetto. So yeah, I mean, part of it was probably just, well, I can't really get any higher. So go down. That was probably it, to be honest. It sounds great. <laughs> and Harding County, where's that? Yeah, North Dakota somewhere. But yeah, that's where they dug that hole in the ground. And then, yeah, they survived the winter and and here I am, you know, so go Olaf for staying strong through the winter. I'm sure his wife was just had had it up to here with him to say the least. So he was actually a gardener to the king of Sweden. So it seems like he had a pretty good gig back in Sweden, but they came to America as a part of the Homestead Act, which would, you know, give people free land for settling in certain places, I, I believe. But yeah, they came to America in hopes of, you know, sort of starting this new life for themselves as immigrants. And I think, too, I, I definitely thought it was a beautiful immigrant story. You know, this rough go immigrants today really have such a hard time even getting into America and settling in America and trying to make a new life for themselves. So I think there's something really beautiful about that, the, you know, the immigrants tale of trying to get somewhere new and start a new chapter. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you know, you left Olaf in the final sort of verse. He came up and didn't make a sound and he ran and he ran and he never was found. So you sort of left him as this ghost, like roaming the North Dakota, Harding County Plains, I think, or, you know, of sorts. Again, you leave him in this ghostly way with the guitar jam and the piano rolls taking us out. I think that was sort of like a Western, like a callback to an old Western, like the sunset, you know, never was found, sort of like rides off into the sunset kind of vibe for sure. But yeah, I understand why that lyric might have stood out to you for sure. But that was the intent, at least with that. So he lived happily ever after. That's sort of the, we don't know. Yeah. But the music video is so entertaining for that song. You know, an 8-bit Oregon Trail inspired music video. So I don't know if you remember ever playing or had kids that played the Oregon Trail computer game, but it's like an old game where you travel along the Oregon Trail. It's a callback to that video game and it uses Olaf's story. So go check out that music video. It's really absurd and fun. Well 
One song that kind of grabbed me from your work with the Shades was 20 Odd Years. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. I wrote that in college. I had this music professor named Dr. Martin Jack Rosenblum. He was actually the poet laureate of the Harley Davidson Motorcycle Company. It's like beatnik poet. He has a lot of really larger-than-life-sounding spoken word, albums, just renegade biker poet kind of guy. And he was one of my music professors at college, and we took like a songwriting class with him, where basically is like a song workshop, like every week you'd bring in a new song or something like that. And there were never assignments. There was never any... It just kind of felt like a fight club sort of vibe, you know, an underground society at an otherwise formal university. You know, it was so cool. And some of my favorite memories of, you know, education uh, were in that class. I mean, it's just so fun every week. He's passed away now and he recorded under the Holy Ranger. Yeah, that was his stage name. But I was in this class with him and I don't know if I'd written this song like I was writing a a lot of songs at the time. And I think discovering, you know, a lot of old folk songs, like the old triangle went jingle jangle, that old Irish song, and then Sing Me Back Home by Merle Haggard. Those kind of old prison ballads. I mean, that's a whole genre in itself, the prison ballad. So... And this is in that genre. This is about a man on death row, right? Who spent 20 years in jail and coming to terms with it. That's exactly it. We had this brilliant violinist named Gina Romantini that played on that song. And she went on to, when we toured with the Wallflower, she started actually playing with them after that. She uh, plays with this Irish band, the Mahones and the Doobie Brothers, I guess she toured with for a little bit. But that's kind of more of an Irish folk song. And then uh, it ended up in this TV show called Kingdom. And that's on Netflix now about MMA fighters. And so people have kind of found their way to my music through that show and that song kind of being in the soundtrack of that. So that's been kind of interesting for me because, I mean, it's a song from so long ago. It's interesting, the legs of that song for me, because I had to listen to it three times. I found it so compelling. And first off, you put yourself in the first person of this man who's clearly done something to put himself on death row. 
and has been in jail for 20 years and, you know, it seems like the end of the line is coming up. And what I kept listening for was what's your stance on the death penalty and what this man's future holds for him, what he thinks of it and holding for himself. And all he wants is one more day, right? And I realized I'm never going to learn Trapper's stance by listening to the song because you don't tell us your stance. And I'm not asking you to tell us your stance on it, but what was your thought process around how to deal with the death penalty in a song? Oh man. I mean, that's, there's, yeah, a lot to unpack. I mean, in short, I don't think there are a lot of people that are really excited about the death penalty and, you know, in any regard, I mean, we have so many famous movies and, and sort of examples of the death penalty, like Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile, all these famous prison movies. Yeah, I don't know that the song, of course, isn't any particular stance on the death penalty. It's more trying to get inside of of a fellow who, like you said, I think is coming to terms with his crime and what he's done. And he sings in the song, All I Ask For Is One More Day. I think there is an element to that sort of, even though he's coming to the very end, he's trying to find some value in, in each, each day he's given, you know, to put it pretty vaguely. But yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, I haven't sung that song in probably 10 years. So it's funny you bring it up. I'm trying to like, go. I'm trying to go over the lyrics in, in my head. But yeah, I haven't like sung it in so long. The notion of, you know, wanting one more day and how we all should try to lead each day well, if not to the fullest, but well, especially in this pandemic, which hopefully is kind of coming to a vaccinated close at some point and herd immunity close. I think for all of us, I had to listen to this several times. I found this song so compelling and it wasn't even one you had suggested I listened to. I was like, oh my God, this is a great song. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I want to thank you for sharing these insights and coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. And like I said, I sorry if I was a little scattered. I'm I'm going on like three hours of sleep from all the apples and the explosions and it's fun stuff. But I think you'll get a kick out of the uh music video we're putting together for that song that we didn't mention, but called Little Drop of Medicine. So Okay, so I can't wait. I gotta watch the Little Drop of Medicine video when it drops and we see the exploding apples and Doug, I'm so grateful that you had me on and that you've spent some time trying to get to the bottom of why I wrote these songs. Um, because, you know, I'm wondering the, the same thing too, but it is a real joy to get to write songs and perform them and talk to people like you about them. So thanks again. And we can't wait to see you on Musi TV, our new TV show, which is uh, going to launch soon on an over-the-top television channel near you. Can't wait to tell our audience more about that. I have to thank DJ Wyatt Schmidt. You can listen to him out there on Twitch and Facebook Live and lots of places. His Friday night shows are killer. I encourage everybody to listen to him. MC Owen and Lauren are social media directors from the Berkeley School of Music. We are always grateful for your support. Follow us at Backstory Song on Twitter. 
Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're posting regularly and our two social media directors are doing a lot there. And we will have more to come on Musi TV, our new TV station that we're launching. And hopefully we'll get to see Trapper give us some live performance video for our new TV show, Musi TV. Thank you, Trapper, for coming on our show. Cool. Thank you. We'll see you there. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.